wow, Paul hit a button on me today. Today he's talking about false apostles. And um, this is one subject that I'm going to confess there's a little confusion with. But there's also a lot of this that just gets me angry. I hope I'm clear in what I say today. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. <sighs> thank you, Apostles' Creed. And whoever wrote that down, thank you. Today's subject is at once a soapbox topic for me, something I I can get really spun up about, but it's also an area uh, where there's a little bit of confusion for me, and I'm amazed when I see it, and you're going to see what I'm talking about here in a minute. We're going to be talking about false apostles, because Paul is just, he's, he's settled a discipline issue at Corinth. Apparently, they've turned their hearts to hit back to him. And he's given them some instruction on the offering that they're going to be gathering to take back to Jerusalem. And then he turns a corner again. And in this next couple chapters, he's going to be addressing the source of the problem in Corinth. And he's not talking about the people there necessarily, but folks that he calls false apostles. And uh, the the more I started looking into this and started reading, I've spent a couple days actually looking into this and reading, um, the more perplexed I get, not at the definition necessarily of apostles, but that somebody would dare to call themselves an apostle. Do I believe there are apostles today? Oh, that's an unequivocal yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you just love it? I, You know, sitting on a fence can make you very sore. And and right now I'm sitting on the fence on this one. But I'm going to explore some things. And then we're going to read the scripture. And I'm going to try to set the, the tone for this so we have a better understanding of who Paul is talking about and why he's so upset. First of all, I'm going to go here to the... Here we are. I've got a couple articles I found. And here's an article of somebody who is writing a grad degree for the New Testament. And please forgive me if I read it. Uh, I can't paraphrase it as well as he says it. So anyway, there's a gentleman by the name of Locke, and he wrote this in 2015. He says, in 2 Corinthians, Paul spends several chapters addressing the threat of so-called super-apostles to his ministry to the church in Corinth. 
The background and teachings of these men are indicated in chapter 10, where Paul uses warfare imagery to point out that these super apostles are debaters. Okay, so it sounds to me like they're part of this professional speaker type thing. He implies that they are trained in speech, in contrast to himself, in chapter 11. Now, Paul also recognizes that these super apostles claim to be descendants of Abraham and ministers of Christ. You see that in the next chapter. So, they're of Jewish descent. And we're demonstrating miracles. That part puzzles me because um, generally when you think of miracles, you think in terms of uh, the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ uh, imparting that power. But we also know that the enemy of our souls is an angel of light and sometimes he can perform miracles. Or maybe these miracles they were performing were just tricks to fool people. Gosh, we've seen that before, haven't we? We'll come back to that. They clearly took exception to the humble way in which Paul presented himself, claiming that while his letters were weighty, he was unimpressive in person, untrained in speech, and apparent sign of weakness for a leader. There are also claims that Paul may have been dishonest with funds as he suspiciously would not allow himself to be financially supported by the Corinthians. Ultimately, it seemed the super apostles viewed Paul as a fool. Now, Paul responds to these claims boldly, first by announcing to the Corinthians that whatever he said in a letter, he certainly means to do in person. He also addresses their views of him as humble and unimpressive by saying that he refuses to boast beyond limits and will stick to the assignment he has been given from God. This, in contrast to the way Paul characterizes the super apostles as boastful, working outside their jurisdiction, looking to take credit for the work of others and not showing good sense. He even implies that these men, while they commend themselves, are not necessarily even commended by God. He reminds the Corinthians that he was the first one to come to them with the gospel. And even if he lacks training in speech, he's proven to them he does not lack knowledge. Further, Paul asserts that any humbling of himself has purpose to elevate the church and makes him an even better minister. The work of the super apostles, on the other hand, may lead the church astray, and their need to be recognized shows them to be false apostles and deceitful workers, ministers of Satan, disguised as ministers of righteousness. Ultimately, Paul seems to be warning the Corinthian church not to trust those who appear to have everything together. The ministers who have slick speech perform miracles, but are driven by recognition and power. Again, lifestyle. James says, show me your faith by how you live. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Hmm. On the contrary, Paul says that true power is made perfect in weakness. Suffering and the display of human weakness show authenticity and humility, and that gives access to God's power rather than relying on one's own human strength. Therefore, the appearance of Paul's weakness, that which the super apostles would put him down for, was in fact his greatest strength, as it showed authenticity and a reliance on God instead of himself. A couple things come out about these super apostles. Um, they came in after the fact and assumed authority in Paul's church. Paul planted the church in Corinth. He established it. He did the work of an apostle, which, again, how frightening must it be to take the gospel 
to some place that has never heard it, knows nothing about it. And how in the world do you establish the gospel in a place like that? That's an incredibly difficult work. And it's something that you have to be called to, I believe. I don't think it's something you choose to do. Paul did not choose to be an apostle, by the way. He started off to be an enemy of the church. His goal was to destroy the way, which is what they were called back then. His goal was to bring destruction and terror upon the followers of Jesus. And then Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus and Paul has a face-to-face with the resurrected Jesus. And God tells him, Jesus tells him how much he's going to have to suffer for him. And Paul suffered a lot. And then gave him the commission to go to the Gentile world. Which he did for 14 or 15 years before Barnabas came and got him out of Antioch uh, from Tarsus. And after 14 or 15 years of working in the Gentile world, Paul finally goes to Jerusalem and gets the thumbprint. Thumbs up, I should say. The okay from the apostles, Peter, James, and John, and the rest, to go to the Gentiles. In fact, it's said that the apostles told Paul, you are preaching the correct gospel, saved by grace, justified by faith. And they said, you don't, we're not going to require that you add on adherence to Mosaic law. Ask, We just ask that your adherence, your converts, respect Jewish culture and do their best not to offend the Jewish believers. And they told him, you go to the Gentiles, we will go to the Jews. So the rest of the, Paul the apostle was the primary apostle to the Gentile world. And Peter, James, and John and the rest, they focused on the Jewish nation of Israel. So, if there was a decorated Jew, that would be Paul. But Paul went into a place, God called him to a place, where none of that mattered. All of Paul's accolades, his prestige, which he would have had in the Jewish world. As a Pharisee of the Pharisees, as a student of Gamaliel, he would everywhere he would have gone as a Pharisee, he would have been recognized and respected. And he was called to go to a place where he was not recognized, not respected, and yet called to establish the gospel in the Gentile world. That's an apostle, ladies and gentlemen. And what this graduate student points out is that the false apostles came in after the fact, claimed authority, and started trying to run things while Paul was out of town. So that's one of the first things somebody calls himself an apostle. I look at where they came from. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm not going to name names, I'm not going to point fingers and right now. That's not my point. But my point is, somebody who comes in to something that's already established, claims a title apostle, and starts to run things, I'm immediately suspect of. Someone who comes into a place, and after a while, they're inordinately wealthy. I'm not against a worker in the gospel in the gospel being paid. A workman's worthy of their hire. I get that. 
I'm not even against getting a decent salary to do what you do. But if after being a quote-unquote apostle, you have mansions, private planes, and you traveling around to conferences and giving your giving of your wisdom and it to, I'm suspect of people like that. I'm especially suspect of, of people who call themselves apostles here in the United States. We are not a nation that has not heard of Jesus. Now, not everybody believes in him. I got that. And I understand that in many ways we're no longer a Christian nation, but that doesn't mean that we are a nation that has never heard the name of Jesus. Paul would go to places that hadn't heard about Jesus or at the most had heard rumors about it, about him. And then he would stay and establish a church, build up a church, and then he'd go on to the next one. Then he'd go on to the next one. And then he would stay in touch with all the churches that uh, he established. But Paul went places where the gospel was not known. Now, there are some people today that I would consider that would fill some of those shoes. But we'll get to that here in a second. From another article, these are some ways we can identify false apostles out of the scripture. False apostles deny any or all truths about the identity and deity of Jesus Christ. In 1 John, John warns his readers against Gnostic teaching. The test, he says, is Christological. In other words, what do you do with Jesus? By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. There are many ways a spirit may deny that Jesus is the Christ. From demonic cults to, don to denominations, they're veered away from the gospel. Evil spirits are always behind the slander of Jesus. Any teacher who attempts to take away from or add to Jesus' finished work on the cross for our salvation is a false prophet. If it's salvation through faith and false gospel, Justified by great by faith and false gospel. Anything that takes away from that central truth, anybody who preaches that, they're preaching a false gospel. False apostles are motivated by greed, lust, or power. In 2 Timothy, Paul describes such teachers in more detail. Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Can you think of some of those folks? I can today. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women. By their fruit, you will recognize them, meaning their life, the fruit of their life, their lifestyle. You know, people who, who exercise spiritual gifts and make a big deal about it, I'm suspect of, just like false apostles. When you claim to be doing something in the name of Jesus, who should be getting the attention? You? Or Jesus. In the operation of the of the uh, spiritual gifts, Paul says, uh, let me show you the best way. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels, if I have not love, I'm like a gonging symbol. He's saying the spiritual gifts operate within the context of agape love, meaning 
God is the center of attention, not you. When a spiritual gift is being uh, demonstrated, and I do believe there are healings. I do believe that there are tongues today. I do believe. I believe in all the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. But here's the criteria. When somebody claims to be operating in that gift, who gets the attention? That person or God? Same can be said about apostles. Paul made every point, every every attempt to point to Jesus in everything he said and did. False apostles draw attention to themselves. They want to be the center of attention. They want to be the focus of attention. If they can be the focus of your attention, they win. Paul would establish a church and then move on. He didn't stay in camp and build a kingdom. He built the kingdom of God, but he did not build an empire for Paul. I guess maybe that's one way of putting it. False apostles refused to make themselves subject to spiritual authorities. All right, well, these false apostles in Corinth, they refused to recognize Paul, the founder of that church, as having anything to do with them. Here's another thing. Some people think that the false apostles that Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians are the other apostles, Peter, James, John, and this. No, they're not. He's never once referred to them as false apostles. He recognized them as apostles. In fact, he recognized them as... He recognized himself as an inferior apostle to them because he was second born, as he called himself. All right, so that's what Paul is facing now, down now. He's dealt with the church itself. The church has turned to him. Now he's turning his attention to the people who caused the problem, the false apostles. And let's read this, chapter 10. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you, went away. That was the accusation these false apostles were making. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think we live by those standards, by the standards of the world. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Paul's coming out with all his guns blazing here. First of all, he says he's not going to back down when he comes. He will face these people. But he want, he's putting them on notice. I have to interject this thought here. Um, one of the things that uh, Paul was being accused of was that he doesn't speak well. He's not a, a polished, accomplished speaker. Apparently that's one of the things that they were holding against him, these false apostles. Which I find personally hilarious. Because... Paul was a trained theologian and speaker. He was a Pharisee. He was a student of Gamaliel. He could handle himself in an argument, and he could speak very eloquently. All you have to do is look at his sermon uh, in, in Athens and realize that Paul is very accomplished as a speaker. But he chose not to be when presenting the gospel because he wanted to draw the attention to Christ 
and to the Christ and not to himself. So what he's telling these folks here, he says, look, when I show up, I am ready to unleash my speaking ability to deal with you. It reminds me of an experience I had as a music teacher once. Um, I, it was never my intent to show off to my, my students. I would teach them. And I had a class once that uh, wasn't paying any attention. And I spoke to them and I said, how many of you would like to pay, play in front of 1,500 people and have them really dig what you did? And they all raised their hands. I said, I've done that. How many of you would like to be on a, an album being recorded in Nashville? And they raised their hands and said, I've done that. And they said, what's the point? I said, here's the point. I've done everything you say you want to do. And all you see is an old fat white guy. I can show you what you need to do. And I do have the skill to play in such a way that totally humbles you. But I don't do that. Because I want you to be built up as musicians. I don't want you to be in awe of me. I want you to be in awe of God. And I want you to become the musicians that God wants you to be. That's the closest thing I have to what Paul is dealing with here. He's getting ready to come back to Corinth and he is going to unleash his intellectual capabilities and face these people down. And he's not afraid to do that. We will now return to our regular scheduled broadcast. But he won. he's putting them on notice. They're using, they're waging war by the ways of the world with their fancy rhetoric, with their fancy... Uh, arguments and their um, power of their personality. Paul says, the weapons we use have divine power. Paul's going to come in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the apostles, especially that first generation back then, they were, there was a special dispensation of power given to them, I believe. We saw that with Ananias and Sapphira in the beginning in Acts where they attempted to, to cheat God. They sold a piece of property, brought a portion of the money, pretended that it was all the money, and Peter said, why are you lying to God? God's going to kill you. Boom, Ananias falls down, dead. His wife comes in. Peter says, did your husband, did you and your husband sell property? She says, yep. And was this the amount of money you sold it for that you gave to the church? He says, "Yep." He says, "The men who killed the men who took your husband's body out the door will also take yours." She falls over dead. They had incredible power, and I believe Paul said, "You know, I can bring that power." It doesn't make Paul a wizard or, or a magician. He's just saying, I'm going to come in the power of the Holy Spirit. And my weapons have divine power to demolish the strongholds that these false apostles have raised up. And he says, and we're going to take captive every thought. Every thought that they put into your head. Every thought that they bring with them. We're going to take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. We will we will deal with these false apostles and we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience. 
You are judging by appearances. If anyone's confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I won't be ashamed of it. I don't want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say, oh, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we're present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves, by themselves, and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. They're not comparing themselves to any standard, just themselves and their other fellow super apostles or false apostles. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but we will confine our boasting to the sphere of service that God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope, in other words, he says, I'm not going to take credit for something somebody else has done. That's what these false apostles were doing. They were taking credit for work that Paul had done. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. But let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In other words, if you got something to boast about, boast about the work that Christ is doing in you and through you. Stay there. Don't boast about something somebody else has done and take it as yours. That's evil. For it is not the one who commends himself who's approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. When someone is is blowing their own horn, touting their accomplishments to gain your trust and your allegiance, there should be alarm bells going off in your head. Powerful stuff. That is what Paul is dealing with right now. And this whole deal about false apostles, um, it's strikes a nerve in me, as you can probably tell. I have met some missionaries that probably were involved in the kind of work that Paul was involved in, going to places that had never heard the gospel. And the only thing they could rely on was the power of God to demolish arguments, to demolish strongholds. And some of the stories these missionaries tell are amazing stories. They sound like the book of Acts with healings and and miracles, signs and wonders. I probably believe that most the missionaries that are involved in work like that, they're probably the closest equivalent we have to an apostle today. But I don't think we have any apostles in the strictest sense of the word. Paul and the other 11... I, you know, I, I struggle to use the word dispensation because I'm not a dispensationalist. But that was a special time in the founding of the church. And I, But I've seen missionaries and talked to missionaries who have established the gospel in a place that's never been exposed to the gospel before. And I would, I, I would not be, um, I don't think I'd be afraid to call them 
an apostle in the sense of the word of the work they were doing functionally. But you know what's amazing to me is that those who I would consider apostles, that's the last title they would take upon themselves. They're truly humble. They're just about doing the work that God called them to do, to take the gospel to a place that's never been. And they're not concerned about titles. They're not concerned about riches or wealth or glory. In fact, most of them have died and the world doesn't even know they ever lived as a whole. But when I see someone touting themselves as a super leader, a super apostle, um, who have taken up authority over a large group of churches, perhaps, that they didn't establish, that they didn't grow, that they didn't plant in a place that had never heard the gospel. When somebody calls themselves an apostle and that's their context, I'm immediately suspect. And um, until I'm shown something different, that attitude of mine won't change. A servant of God puts God first and foremost. And the thing you should hear from them is God's word. The things you should see is God, not them. I think I'm going to stop there. I'm. Uh, this is an area in which I'm open to correction on. And I'm willing to discuss with anybody on. Um, currently, my mind is pretty made up, as you can tell. But... I want to be true to God's word. And in God's word, what I see is that a servant of God serves God in such a way that God gets the glory. The attention is drawn to God, not to the individual. One of the things that makes God's word so valuable to me is that every time I read a portion of it, Many times I walk away with more questions than I have answers. So having said that, here's my coffee. This is Paige. Ladies and jelly spoons, I am out of here. Bye-bye.